How are we doing, church? Doing good? Good. Grab your Bibles if you have them. I hope you do. Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to pick it up. I hope you're feeling good. I'm feeling great. I hope you had a good week. I had a great week and a great weekend. Um, and, and honestly, I think most of you did. Uh, this week, uh, we did our first ever men's retreat called Encounter, and about 30 of us went to the woods all week and, and encountered Jesus and some animals, and that was awesome. And uh, my, my four-year-old Reagan called it the men's treatment. Is dad still on the men's treatment? Which is kind of true, right? It was, it was treatment for us, so that was awesome. And then I had a great weekend, and, and if you follow college football, I think most of us in the room did, right? The dogs won. Yay, go dogs! Woo! And Florida State won, so good job, guys. Yay. And Florida, you didn't have to play, so you weren't frustrated all weekend with your current situation. So you're like, yay! And the Jaguars play today at 4 o'clock, and Blake Bortles is starting. Isn't that great? So, yeah, that's great. We're still going to lose by 100, but at least it feels better. You know, like, the future is great. All right. And then we know Beast Town Shakedown, you guys had a great weekend. All right. Now go to sleep. So, I'm just kidding. So, and you spent yesterday at a water park, and that was just to set us all up for today, because today we're talking about Noah and the ark and the flood. And so, um, and, and God did some awesome things at the water park. Uh, we had kids get saved over the weekend, students get saved over the weekend, and get baptized at the Disney park. Isn't that cool? That's great. And all these people are like, what's happening? And, you know, they thought it was a ride. They want to get in line. So, anyway, so it's great. So, I'm in a good mood. Now, let me just tell you this. Uh, the sermon is going to get real bummer at first. Real bad. And because uh, I don't know how Noah's Ark became a children's story, you'll see why it really shouldn't be in a minute. And if you painted your kid's room like a Noah theme, I'm going to convince you to repaint by next weekend because it's really bad. Uh, but then it gets way better at the end. So if you leave in the middle, then you'll never meet Jesus, okay? Because you're like, oh, this is horrible. So you got to stick around to the end. Here we go. So uh, Genesis chapter 6, beginning of verse 5. And, and I need to let you know, this is the fourth week of a four-week series called Scripted. And the reason we call it scripted is because a lot of times in the first about 12 chapters of Genesis, when people study it, they, they kind of think, if you're not careful, it, it kind of looks like punch, counterpunch between uh, God and the devil. You know, like God made everything great and the devil made people sin. And so he's like, oh, I know I'll kick him out of the garden. And then it, it just seems like, like God and the devil are playing chess and, and we're not sure who's going to win. And that's not how it goes at all. Like God's not surprised. He doesn't drive an ambulance. That's not what he does. He's not just the cosmic janitor running around cleaning up all our mess. That's not how it works. That the almighty sovereign God, the maker of heaven and earth, that he's omniscient and he's omnipotent. That means he knows everything and he's all powerful. And only an almighty sovereign God could even use the, the ways of the enemy or our own sinfulness to somehow use it together for the good of all those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so God is in charge, sovereign, and in control of the whole thing. And it was his hand that was really writing the script of these, these events that we've been looking at. And so even if your individual life right now feels totally out of control, I've got good news. That God's never been surprised. That God, God never looks around in heaven and goes, what are we going to do now? Never, ever, ever. And he's still got the whole world in his hands. He's still in charge. And so you'll, you'll see a lot of that in, in Genesis chapter 6 and following. I'm going to do Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. So ready? Let's go fast. Beginning in verse 5 of, of chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, this is the bummer part that I was telling you about. All right. How many of you have heard people these days, it's very popular to say, especially from like teachers and moms, they love to say to their kids, you just need to follow your heart. It's really bad advice. Really, really bad advice. Why? Because every intention and the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. And some of you go, oh, that explains my two-year-old. But it's just true. That, that's the condition of every person that was on the earth. God looked at them, and everybody only did evil all the time. That's all he did. Verse 6, some of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. You see? Part of the reason I don't want to go by that too quickly is this, is that most of us, we take sin and its consequences way too lightly, especially in a fast-growing church like this and in, in America in general. Um, we, we take the consequences of sin way, way, way too lightly. In fact, we don't even like the word sin. We like to just call it mistake. So I just made a bad decision or I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a mistaker. And that's really not true is is I've even had people say, listen, I'm not a liar. 
I just lie. Like, did you just hear yourself say that out loud? Can your ears hear your mouth? Okay. The, the, <laughs> the heart of the problem is the problem of our heart. You get that? And, and I'm not going to water it down so that you'll feel better. I'm just not. And the truth is, is that sin matters. I mean, it's a big, big, big deal. And it matters on, on many different levels. I mean, first and foremost, it grieves the heart of God. And, and God's not surprised that these people would do this. But God is grieved every time we sin. I mean, He just is. And from a number of reasons. First and foremost, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. And every single time we sin, it is treason against the King. And that's bad. It's also a fact that you and I were created in the image of God to be an image bearer of God. Another way to translate that word image is to be the reflection of God. And when we sin and when we hurt other people or we just say, forget you, God, I'm going to do what I want when I want with who I want because I'm the boss of me. It is not a true reflection or an image of God. We mar the image of God. And that is a big deal. And then another one, and this one's huge. Every parent in the room can grab onto this one. That it saddens God when we're not living that life of abundance that he created us to live in him and for him and through him. And that, that any parent in here, if you've got like older kids and maybe your kids are just living this prodigal lifestyle and they're, they're doing things and you know that their decisions or the sin that they're walking in, you know that fundamentally it's just really hurting them. That there is a pain and a, and a depth of sorrow in your soul that, that, you can't, that you have a hard time finding words for. And this is what happens, that God looks at us and, it, and it's just grieved. And here's the problem. We, we have a problem with this as Americans. You know why? Because in America, if you've got enough money, you think, I can get out of almost anything. Or if you've got the right lawyers, you can get out of almost anything. Or if you know the right people, or if you've got a short mind and a quick mouth, you can get out of almost anything. I promise. That's my testimony. Got out of a lot of stuff because I could talk my way out. But there will be a day when there's a judgment coming and you can't get out. And we don't like that. And, and this is how bad, and again, we live in a society that doesn't want to talk about sin, and, and I don't want to talk about it a lot either, but it, it just is what it is. And so, um, but, the, but the truth is, is that, that we sin and we fall short of the glory of God, and the gospel is not that God's kind of da- like weak on sin. And some of you think this, that one day Jesus returns and he's going to be like, oh, you know all that stuff that you did that was bad? Don't worry about it. Come here. Just give me a hug. Hey, buddy. You're my homeboy. That is not the gospel. That is not how it goes. That our sin, my sin, is so bad. That somebody had to die. Somebody had to die. The blood had to be shed. Now the good news is, thank goodness it doesn't stop there. The good news is, is that Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to be the one. But these, these verses are sad. I mean, it really is. Verse 8, now we're going to pick up on Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Verse 10, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So if you're looking for a boy name, Ham would be a great one, right? <laughs> now, let me, just, let me just point something out here. Um, the way I heard the story of Noah growing up, and everybody, whether you grew up in church or not, most all of us have heard about Noah and Noah's Ark. Kind of the way it was taught was really, really wrong. Really wrong. Most of the time it's taught this way, that the whole world was bad, but Noah was good. So God saved good Noah to save, to, God used good Noah to save all the bad people. Wrong answer. Bad theology. That is not how it works. Look what it says. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The verses before that let us know that Noah was also one of those people that every intention of his heart was also evil all the time. And so Noah found favor in in God's eyes. He didn't earn favor. It's not like Noah was, was righteous and blameless. Therefore, God favored him. That's not how it works. That even though Noah was crooked and depraved just like everybody else, that God just found favor in him. Why? I don't know. He's God. Same reason he found favor in you. Why? Because you earned it? I promise you didn't. No. But God just looked down and said, all right, I'm going to use one of these simple people. I'm going to use him. And so it's after God finds favor in Noah. Notice that after that, the, the Bible says, that he was blameless in his generation and he was righteous and no one walked with God. It's called, it's what we call imputed righteousness. That after God favored him, <clears throat> Noah put his faith in him, not for what had happened, but what would happen, that the guys in the Old Testament got saved by putting their faith in 
The fact that God would keep His promise and send a Messiah to suffer and die for our sins on the cross. Just like we get saved by putting our faith in what has happened, that God did keep His promise and He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to be resurrected on the third day. That because Noah found favor in God's eyes, that God gave him, imputed unto him righteousness. That's how we get saved too. The way to be righteous before God is to put your faith in Jesus. And then he gets the penalty for your sin and you get his right standing before God. That's what imputed righteousness means. So I want every parent to go home and look through your your children's books that you bought at the Bible bookstore for your kids and just make sure it's got the right theology, okay? And just look through it. And if it said, God looked and all the people were bad, but no, it was good, tear that part out of the little book, okay? And burn it because that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. You'll teach us some very, very bad things. Remember last week? That God is preeminent, that God is first, that we respond to Him, He doesn't respond to us. It's not because we're good, and He goes, well, I guess I'll use you. Not wrong answer. But God goes first, God is first, it's God's favor upon Him that makes Him righteous and blameless. Do you know how you are righteous and blameless? It's because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness that gets put upon you. That's a big deal. And so, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then verses like 15 through 21 just give all the details of that. Now, um, let me tell you, I think there's a... One of the big problems with talking about Noah and the ark um, is most of the evangelical Christians, and that's the kind of church you're in right now, they actually spend all their time studying the wrong thing. Like there are people that give their whole lives, like finding gopher wood and measuring out 300 cubits and building it together. And you can't an elephant fit in there? I don't care, okay? <clears throat> and you miss the actual details of what God has for you today. So God gives him this almost, I mean, it, it looks impossible kind of command. All right, so you've got to build this ark, and it's huge. I mean, it's enormous. And then, not only that, in verse 19, he says, And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword uh, into the ark, and keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Okay, so not only do you have to spend all this time, it takes them like 120 years to build this big boat, all right? And um, you, you've got to build this thing, and then you get two of every kind of animal, and you've got to get them in the boat. But look in verse 22, what Noah does. And Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. That's big. You might want to underline that in your Bible. And and here's why. Because he's going to repeat it in just a few more verses. Go to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, And then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. See, let me just tell you this. When God repeats himself, you might want to pay attention. Now, I repeat myself all the time. Whatever, I just can't think of anything new to say. But when God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, he spoke into existence the stars, when he decides in 6.22 and in 7.5 to repeat himself that God did, I mean, that Noah did all the Lord had commanded, and he says it again, you might want to go, I should probably underline that or write that down. You know why? It's because obedience matters. Obedience matters. The way we live is evident of what we really believe. Do you you know why Noah (coughs) obeyed God? Because he actually believed what God was saying was true. Do you know why you and I don't don't obey God sometimes? Because we think our way is better than his way. That obedience matters. And momentary obedience is meaningless. It just is. You know, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn occasionally. You know, sometimes we just be like, look how good I was once. Eh, Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like when I tell my kids, go to bed. And my kids are thinking, well, I am kind of tired. I think that's a good idea. I'll go. They're not even obeying. It's just self-service, right? Thanks, Dad, for being on my team. Well, I tell you what I really like. I like it when my kids obey me, even when it doesn't make sense to them and they don't want to go. Go to bed. They're like, but I'm not tired. Yeah, I promise you are, okay? Yeah, but, but 
You know, I don't have anything going on tomorrow. You do it at school. It's kind of a big deal, all right? I'm sick of fighting and getting you out of the bed in the morning. You're going to go down. And when they, look, listen, as a parent, every parent in here, if you're brave enough, you would say amen. I'll take begrudging submission, right? In fact, it's evidence that you're actually trusting me because I'm dad. Because from your perspective, it doesn't make sense. And obedience is a matter of perspective. It just is. It just is. You know, every single one of us, when you were younger, you thought your parents hated you. Didn't you? We all did. We're like, what do you mean i got to clean my room? But I don't want to clean my room. What, I have to make my bed, but I'm just going to get right back into it. And then you go in your room and be like, I can't believe my parents are so sorry. I mean, I live in this house for free, and it's really their house, and they give me a room with no rent, and they feed me and clothe me and all of that. But what is wrong with them to make me think that I have to clean up my stuff? I'm going to call defects, right? But then what happened? As you got older, and you became a parent, and you had their perspective... And then you got your first job with that 24-year-old girl and her mom didn't make her clean her room up. And you went, oh, that's what you turn out like. And what'd you do? You went home. You say, hey, called your mom. Hey, mom, thanks. For what? I just have a new perspective. You see, that's why uh, momentary obedience is basically meaningless. And not only that, obedience matters, especially when it doesn't make sense. That's when it matters most. Because really, as a Christian, when you are obedient, it's evidence that you trust God, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Even if it doesn't make sense to you. Because imagine Noah. Imagine how silly this looked as he's building the ark. Y'all, it took him 120 years to build it. Can you imagine, I don't know, 60 years in when his friends come up and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm building an ark. Why? Because God told me to. Are you sure you're okay? Or have you come off your meds? Because I've got a doctor's number you need to call. Like, like, not only have you been at this for a long time and God hadn't done anything that he said he was going to do, where's this flood of judgment that's coming? He goes, I, just trust me. God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And they're like, yeah, right. And not only that, Noah, we don't even live anywhere near the beach. <laughs> and you're building this huge boat. And I don't see you building a trailer or putting together an F-350 to tow it out there. How are you going to get it to the water? And you know how many floods they've had at this time? Zero. Zero. And he's just going... Just trust me. Just trust me. And it doesn't make sense to anybody except Noah. And think about this, because I know you don't think about this kind of stuff, but I do. This is, this is what I think about. How do you tell the difference between a boy dove and a girl dove? I mean, really. When, and I don't even know how you get them all in, but you go out and you whistle, and they all show up or whatever, and they come in and God says, Noah, you got them all? I'm like, I think. I don't know. You want to look? I got two turtles here. I don't know how to tell all the difference, all right? You just put a pink bow in one of their hair or something, okay? It doesn't make sense. And if I'm Noah, I'm like, you sure you want me to bring the cats on? Because I think they'd be better out, right? I mean, just saying. And please don't email me about your cat, okay? If you do, it's evident you're a cat person. That's one. And secondly, your cat's not different, all right? It's just like all the other cats that shouldn't have made it. But the point is... I just mean, not big cats like jaguars. They're awesome. Little cats that are worthless. All right, so. <clears throat> but obedience matters even when it doesn't make sense. Especially when it doesn't make sense. Because can't we just be honest that we, we don't have God's perspective. There will come a day, as Paul says, in this life we see through a glass dimly. Like it's kind of fuzzy. There will come a day where you get to heaven, you're face to face with the almighty maker of creation. And you'll go, oh, oh. Oh, of course. Well, that makes sense. Obedience matters. And this is big too. All of God's commands are for us. They're for us. See, we have this, we have this really bad misunderstanding of the Bible. And, and partly it's because of the way it gets taught and preached. But, but for so long, I thought that, that God's just like this cosmic killjoy. And he wants to just take away our fun. And all of his commands were to keep us from having fun and doing what we wanted to do. But do you realize that all of the whole Word of God, I mean, from the very beginning all the way back to the maps, are inspired by God, and they are actually for you. That every command of God is for your provision and protection, every single one of them. I mean, think of one command that if you disobey it, it actually goes better for you. It's just not the case. See, God's law, God's commands, God's precepts are, are His provision and protection for His kids, for His children. Just like you have laws for your kids, provision and protection. Just like you put a fence in your backyard to keep your dog in, provision and protection. And though we by nature are just 
kind of rebellious. When we rebel against God's commands in our life, it always feels like freedom at first. It always does. It feels so good at first, right? I've told you this before. The crazy thing about temptation, it's really tempting, right? You should write that down. Everybody should write that down. That's brilliant. And it always feels like freedom at first, right? Woo! And then it, it always leads to either death or bondage every single time. You ask any addict in the room right now, and there are lots of addicts in the room right now, and you should, you should be here. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. But you ask any addict in the room, hey, what did it feel like the first time you took that or the first time you took that drink? Did it feel like bondage? Like, no way, dude. It was total freedom. It was total freedom. I could take this. I could drink this. I could party like that. And woohoo! And then it had one destination. And that thing that I used to take to make me feel a certain way took over my life. And they're in bondage, or they were in bondage. You see, God's precepts are for us. Think about this. If Noah doesn't obey God, it does not go well for Noah. It also does not go well for his family. And it does not go well for us. Do you know what hangs in the balance? If God has commanded you to do something and you don't do it? The truth is, you have no idea. You have no idea how it could impact you and your family and your grandkids. And and obedience matters. Obedience matters. And so a question I would ask is, are you obedient to what God has commanded you to do? And I've had people say to me, yeah, but if God spoke to me the way he spoke to Noah, like if he just showed up in my bedroom and was like, hey, Ted, you were like, whoa, right? Like, all right, change your pants and come back and let's talk which is biblical. Every time the angels show up, they would say, fear not. Why? Because everybody was afraid, right? They would show up and announce something. People would freak out. Then calm down, calm down. Now listen, now, if God came to you that way and commanded you to do something, people have told me, well, I would do that. Well, guess what? He's done better. He's done better. He wrote it down in case you forget or misheard. Because I don't know if you've met a lot of people that God's talked to. I think they mishear what he says, all right? It gets kind of weird. And so God wrote it down, like love your neighbor. There's a command. Forgive. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's a command. Go and make disciples of all the nations. There's a command. Be a witness. There's a command. Or here's one from last week. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse of God. There's a command. Which, by the way, you did great last week. Yay. That our tithes and offerings went up by 30% last week. Now, you might, want to, you might out yourself. You got too early. Okay. Uh, because that's what one thing you did. You know what you did? One thing is you outed yourself. You really did. You just went, this is what faithfulness looks like for our church. So if we kind of slide back down into normal, you know what that means? That's like, oh, they listened for one week. A little pat on the head. That's momentary obedience. A lifetime of obedience. Do you imagine what God could do with those resources to fuel and fund his kingdom? See the difference? Obedience matters. It matters a lot. And so we are all here today because, obe- because Noah was obedient to what God called him to do, regardless of what everybody else thought about him in the, in the meantime. Verse 17 and following. <clears throat> the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all of mankind. And everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. That's a a throwback to um, Genesis chapter 2 when the Bible says that God leaned in and breathed the ruah or the breath of God into the nostrils of Adam. And everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. And he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and the creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. You see, um, this is not a kid's story. This is not a children's story. This is the wrath of God poured out on humanity that asked for it. And it's a big deal. And it's a big deal. And so I would actually, and so one, we're not going to shy away from it because it's the reality. It's the diagnosis of the gospel. Now, good news follows, so we're not going to end on that. But I'm telling you, I don't know how it became a children's story. 
And so I would just tell you, um, if you've painted your room, your kid's room, like with a Noah theme, um, there's some additions that you need to make. And if you're going to tell kids, your kids the story, you've got to at least tell them to a biblically accurate. In fact, I would encourage you to not tell your kids the story right now, right? Like, hey, JP, Reagan, come on, let's gather around. It's time for family devotion before you go to bed. Okay, this is how it went. That God looked about all the earth, and it was just full of, of wretched, black-hearted sinners. Right, Reagan? Right. And uh, God put his favor on Noah and made him righteous and then told him, build an ark because one day I'm going to judge the world by sending a flood. It's going to flood. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And then that happened. And nobody, after the door of the ark was shut, after Noah and his family went in, nobody else was able to get into the boat. And it rained and it rained and it rained. And then everybody drowned to death. Good night, kids. <laughs> Is that rain? Is it raining? No, don't do that to your kids. <clears throat> and, or, or if you just want to be accurate with your kid's room, you got to throw in a few dead bloated bodies in the bottom of your little, you know, mural with the rainbow and stuff. But it gets better. That's not where it ends. Thank goodness. So all of chapter 8, basically all of chapter 8 just tells how they knew that they could land the boat. And they land at Mount Ararat. And so if you pick it up in chapter 9, verse 7, the, the family, they've been on this boat for at least 150 days, and now they're going to get off. And here's what God commands them to do in verse 7 of chapter 9. And you, talking about to Noah and his three kids and their wives. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Praise God. This is good news. Now, first of all, it's good news because if you've been locked up on one boat with your in-laws for 150 days, you really want to be fruitful and multiply with your wife. Amen? Amen. I'll say it for you. But if you'll remember back to Genesis chapter 1, this is the very first thing that God commanded Adam and Eve to do. First of all, men, how good is our God? This is a command. Praise Jesus. Can I get an amen? Mm. Cut him off, ladies. All right. You better amen louder than that. All right. <clears throat> so, so how good is God? But not only that, you know what this is evidence of? It's evidence of a do-over. It's a do-over. Thank God that we serve the God of the do-overs. Because I'm going to tell you this, the only reason that you and I are here today is because God gave me a second chance. And God gave you a second, third, and fourth, and fifth chance. And God gave me a hundredth chance. In fact, the reason you don't go to your old church anymore and you come to this church is because you felt like you could get a do-over at this church. And you might have got kicked out of your last one and you come here and you think, well, I can listen to that guy because I think he screws up all the time. And yet, keeps coming, repenting and coming to the cross and praise God for the do-over. Don't you remember the do-over as a little kid? You would mess something up, you'd scream, do-over, and it would just go back to the way it was. Did you wish we had the do-over today? Cop pulls you over. You know, as you're going, do-over. Go ahead. Be awesome, okay? Do you realize because of God's grace and mercy, this is what you get. You get, now the New Testament doesn't call it do-over. It's just simple people like me. The New Testament calls it things like new creation, born again, newness of life. It's just Bible words for, all right, listen, because of what Christ has done on the cross, that you get another chance Verse 8, and then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant, that's important, my covenant, with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. That includes us today. And I have set my bow, that means rainbow, in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now this is important. That God is a God of covenants, not of contracts. Now we all because of our cell phones, we all know exactly what a contract is. And a contract says, if you do your part, I'll do my part. God is not a God of contracts. He's a God of covenant. In fact, look through the text and find out what our part of the covenant is. Doesn't even talk about it. A covenant is a promise. No matter what you do, here's what I promise. By the way, if you got married, you made a covenant. That was your, that was your covenant. You said, in sickness and health, better or worse, right? No matter what, here's what I promise to do. It's a covenant. Because it's a reflection of who God is. God doesn't make contracts. Do you know why you have to have a contract with your cell phone provider? One, because they don't love you. They don't. They don't. 
You know how I know? Break your phone, take it in, go, I need help. And they're like, huh, the contract says you're in trouble, all right? Yeah. And, and because we're crooked too. They have to have a contract. They can't operate on trust. A contract just says I don't trust you. That's what it is. That's what it is. Can you imagine if you're like, hey, I want a new iPhone 6. Yeah, take this and just pay us what you think it's worth. Okay. No, we're a bunch of thieves. We just say, I think it's worth zero. That's what we would do. So you've got to have a contract. Praise God that he didn't work under a contract. But he's a God of covenant. The word covenant and testament are the same word. It means the same thing. So your Old Testament could be called your, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was based on the law. And if you did not obey the law, then you had to sacrifice an animal to cover the sins for a time. The New Covenant or the New Testament is a covenant of grace. You know what that means is that the lamb was slain once and for all to be the marker of a covenant between us and God. That no matter what you do from here on, that the covenant, the covenant covers you. That when Jesus died on the cross, it counted for you once and for all. And so God is a God of covenants. And then he puts a rainbow in the sky. You know why? Here's why. So that the next time it rained, the people weren't like, oh no, here we go again. Get the ark. Get the ark. Find the boy dove and the girl dove. We've got to do this again. No, that they would see the rainbow and they would remember, wait, God made a promise. And God promised us that he's not going to wipe us out with the flood again because he is who he says he is and he always keeps his promises. That's what a covenant is. And so then, then if you're you know, in kids' land, this is usually where the story of Noah ends. And that's the mural you painted on your wall, right, with the big rainbow. But it's not over. Here's kind of the rest of the story. And you'll see why most churches leave this out of the story of Noah, because it gets weird. All right, verse 20. Skip down to verse 20. And Noah, this is after, after he came off the boat, Noah began to be a man of the soil. So he's like a farmer. And he planted a vineyard. That's cool. Verse 21. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, add that to your kid's mural. You know what I'm saying? Mom, who's the drunk naked guy? Well, you know, after he got off the boat, the animals did well, and he's on the sexual predator list, all right? So, sorry about that. And that's the true story. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important to me and you. Ready? And God didn't kill him. And God didn't kill him. If God makes a contract with Noah, the contract goes something like this. All right, Noah, you're kind of a big deal. For thousands of years, people are going to be talking about you. And I'll pick you to save everybody on the boat, but you better straighten up. You better straighten up. And if you don't, and if you don't, don't make me come down there. That's a contract, okay? A covenant is, I'm your God, you're my people. And so God, uh, Noah, the hero of the story, gets hammered and, and passes out naked, exposes himself to his family. It's not awesome. And God doesn't kill him. And God doesn't kill him. You know what? Also, it's evidence. It's evidence of what God would have to do. You see, everything in the Scriptures, everything in the Scriptures, and if you're, if you're an 1122-er, you got to get this, okay? That everything in the Scriptures, from the very first beginning, in the beginning, all the way like through the maps, points to one thing, and it points to Jesus. The whole Bible is about one thing, God reconciling His people unto Him through Jesus. And you see, while, while God used Noah <clears throat> to save people from... Um, <clears throat> from the consequences of their sin, that he had, to send, uh, he had to send a Messiah, the Christ, to not just save us from the consequences of our sin, but to pay for and take away our sin. You see how that's evidence of this? You see, so everything we look through in the Old Testament, if you look through the, the, the account of Noah with your gospel lenses on, you'll just see a picture of the gospel. That the whole world, every single one of us, we're all crooked and depraved. We're all by nature at the heart level, wretched, black-hearted sinners. And some of us sin through rebellion, like, God, I'm a, I don't need you. I'll do what I want, when I want, with who I want, because I'm the Lord of my own life. Some of us live that way. And some of us uh, reject God by turning to religion. God, I don't need you because I'm going to be good enough. In other words, I can tread water until the, until the flood stops. Huh. And so we're all, by, by our own very nature, just black-hearted. And then God favors us, chooses us, begins to woo us and draw us unto himself. And then every single person that surrenders their life to Christ, we are imputed with his righteousness and we get to walk with God, have a relationship with God. How? Because there was an ark of salvation. There was an ark of salvation. And here's the point. 
Here's the point that I need you to get here is that Jesus is the greater ark of salvation. You get it? That Noah saved some people from the consequences of sin, but Jesus, the greater ark of salvation, comes, comes along to pay for and take away our sin. And that's different, that's greater, that's better. And it's true now. Because here's what I want you to think about when you think of Noah. And not just what happened a long time ago, and, and, and seriously, you know, how did, he get, how did he get birds on there and all of that. Don't get caught up in the wrong details. Do you realize, do you realize that if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, you and I are like modern day Noah's. We are. Do you know why? Because another day of judgment is coming. It's coming. And God is first. And he will be first in everybody's life. He'll either be first as your Lord and Savior, or he'll be first as your judge. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that every knee in heaven and on earth will bow. And so you will either bow in humble submission to God, or you will bow out of fear, and then it's too late. That every single one of us will stand one day before God in judgment. It just won't be judgment of water. It'll be a different kind of judgment. And so, in fact, um, if you... uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, Jesus starts talking about the end of times when this judgment's going to come. And his disciples get real interested and they ask him, Jesus, when is it going to come and what's it going to be like on the day you return and judge the world? And so let me, just, let me just be clear here that I believe and the Bible teaches that there is coming a day, the day of the Lord, when Jesus will return and he will judge everybody. And some of you think, wow, I can't believe you really believe that. I do. I do. Jesus believed it, and I believe what he believes. That's what I do. If you say that you're going to die and you can come back from the grave, then I believe what you believe. That's how it works for me, okay? And so he said he was going to die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. And sure enough, he dies on the cross. Three days later, he's just walking around, having, going fishing and eating breakfast with people. So if you can die and then not be dead anymore, I'm with you. I'll, I'll listen to your podcast. I'll drink your Kool-Aid. I'll wear your tennis shoes. I'll cut my hair funny. Whatever you want to tell me to do, I'm with you. You know why? Because I want to join you in that get past death part. And all of you do too. So Jesus says he's returning. He's returning to judge us all. And if you think, well, that's weird. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought Noah was weird too. And he was right. Why? Because he was obedient to God. And so if you, if you skip all the way to, to 2 Peter, 2 Peter's way towards the, the end of the New Testament. And, and the Apostle Peter is talking to some people too because Jesus said he was going to return. And here's the thing. And he said he was coming soon. He said he was coming soon. And here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. He said, You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. In other words, Jesus said he was coming back too. In Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples say, hey, what's it going to be like at the end of times? Jesus starts saying, all right, there's going to be these signs and wonders and all these things are going to point to it. But before you get too hung up in all that stuff, just know this, that even the Son of Man nor the angels know the day or the hour. So what I would say to you to this is, so quit wasting your time trying to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back. And so much like a lot of modern-day Christians, I think, spend too much time measuring out gopher wood, Also, a lot of Christians spend too much time um, taking verses out of Daniel and Revelation and Matthew 24 and 5 and the newspaper and last night's score and put it all together and go, I got it. He'll be here Thursday. All right, if you ever find yourself in another church and they say something like that, get your things, or get your children, don't go back to that church. You know why? Because the Bible says even Jesus doesn't know when he's going to return. Okay? If you were to say, Jesus, when are you coming back? He would say, as soon as he tells me. That's what he'd say. And if somebody said to you, but an angel told me, Jesus said, even the angels don't know, so they're lying. Get your stuff and leave, and they'll go back. I promise. And then, after Jesus says, so don't get too hung up on exactly when, or you'll miss the whole point, he tells three parables. This is very, very important. I got a text this weekend, and it said, what do you think about premillennialism, postmillennialism, or amillennialism, okay? And I go, it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. What Jesus says in Matthew 25, as you are preparing For his return in judgment, here's what you do. The first parable is called the parable of the virgins, and here's what it means. Don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. Because when Jesus comes back, it's going to be too late to try to join the party at that point. You've got to RSVP now. That's the point of it. Because when the the sky cracks open and Jesus returns, you you won't have time to go, "Oh, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got something else to do. No, it's over. It's like in Noah's day, 
when the family got in the boat and they closed the doors and then it started raining, you know there were some people that went, hey, hey, I'll take a ride. Remember I said no? Now I want to say yeah. Too late. That's just self-preservation. It's not trusting God for who he is and what he promised. So that's called the parable of the virgins. Don't miss the party. The second one's called the parable of the talents. And it's this. Don't waste your time. Don't waste what God has entrusted you with. Because when the master comes back, he's going to hold you accountable for it. So do, like, invest in kingdom things. Don't waste your time. Don't be afraid. And then the third one is the parable of the sheep and the goats, that that Jesus is going to gather all the people like sheep and goats, and he's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And to the goats, he's going to say, sorry, you're going to hell. And you're not, but you're sat on the wrong side, okay? And he's going to say, you're going to hell. And they're like, why are we going to hell? And he's going to say, because you didn't know me, and I could tell you didn't know me by the way you acted. Yeah, so... And then to this side, he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to heaven. And this side's going to go, why did we get into heaven? Because you knew me and you trusted me. And I could tell by the way you acted. And that's it. Okay? That's what Jesus says to be doing as we are awaiting this next judgment. And, and so this is what Peter is talking about when he says, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the command of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Verse 3. Knowing, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, that today, people will say, how can you really believe that Jesus is returning? That's what what Peter says will happen. That when people come up and be like, hadn't it been going on like it's always been going on? And he said he'd be here soon. When I say soon, I mean like by Tuesday. And I look around, he's still not here. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That was week one of this series. Um, and verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about what we're talking about here. He's talking about Noah and the flood. And every person that heard this, that Peter was talking to, they were all good Jewish boys and girls, and they all knew and believed about God's judgment during Noah's day. And they were like, well, of course that happened back then, but do you really think it might happen again? And, he said, and essentially Peter's like, yeah, why? Because Jesus said it was. And he's going to return, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You know what that means? It means Jesus is coming back, and when he does, and when he does, he's going to judge. Now, every single one of you that grew up in any kind of formal church, like Catholic or Baptist or Episcopalian or something like that, you used to say this every single week, that Jesus is going to return to judge the quick and the dead. This is, this is where it comes from. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So in other words, when people say, well, what's taking him so long? You go, well, I, I guess God, eternal God, does his calendaring different than I do. So if I say, hey, I'll call you soon, I really mean by like the end of the day. But when he says, soon I'll be back, well, with him, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So even though we've been waiting for 2,000 years, it's not even like a long weekend for God, okay? So he's, he just, he's not slow. And then verse 9 answers the question. So if he said he's coming back, and it sounds kind of weird anyway, If he said he's coming back, how come he hasn't come back yet? Here's the answer in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's the answer. You know why Jesus has not returned to judge us yet? Because he's patient with us. And here's what it says. And what he really wants, what he really wants is he's trying to give you another opportunity to get on the ark because he wants every single person to hear the gospel and understand and get on the ark and that's what keeps his judgment at bay and i'll just be honest with you some of you long-time christians this is going to bother you but i don't care um i don't want him to come back today i mean i don't i really don't And, and and i know that heaven is infinitely better than earth i understand But there's some things on earth that I really want to see happen before I go to heaven. And some of them are dumb and silly. Like, I'd really like to be around when Georgia wins a national championship. Okay, I just would. And it might be a while. Okay, I just, it might be. Because that's a different thing. So, but then there's some real important stuff too. I mean, there's important stuff with my kids and all of that. But the most important is this. Here's the most important. 
is that if he were to come back today, there's some friends and family members of mine that I, I don't think are going to heaven with me. And again, I'm not their judge. God's their judge. But based on my understanding of the scripture and the gospel and the way they live their life and even the things that they've told me, you know, when God said, Noah, get all your family and get them on the boat, well, all my family ain't on the boat yet. And I got some family members that I pray for. I mean, I really, really, really pray. And, and a part of what I got to pray, because they're not saved right this minute, is God, just give me one more day, please. Can I get another day? Can I get another day? And I, I praise God that he's patient and that his desire is that no one, no one would perish, but everybody would get on the ark of salvation. And so I don't want him to come back yet. So here's the deal. You, you guys realize that we're like modern-day Noah's? You get that? It's like you got keys to the ark. Now, here's the deal. Noah didn't save anybody. The ark saved everybody. It's not like Noah's out there doggy paddling and they're all piled up on Noah. That is not how it works. And you can't save anybody. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save everybody. Amen. But you got the keys. I mean, you got the life vest right here. And you know what God's calling us to do before he returns? Is throw it out there to whoever he puts in your life. You get that? You see how big this is? And here's why in verse 10. Well, before that, and you know how fast it's going to be? This is crazy too. Is the Bible says that it'll be in a twinkling of an eye. Now, my eyes don't twinkle. They just don't. I've checked. They don't twinkle. All right? One droops, but that's not a twinkle. They blink. That's what they do. So we'll go with blink. So like in the blink of an eye. And whether that's Christ's cosmic return to judge the whole earth or whether it's your last breath here on earth. You know how long that's going to take? It could be in the blink of an eye. That one day you blink and you close your eyes and you open them and there's Jesus and he's going to say, we need to talk. That's how, that's how quick it could be. And so because of that, verse 10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now when's the thief coming? I don't know. He wouldn't be a very good thief. If he told me, somebody broke into my truck recently, and if he had told me when he's going to be there, I would have been there waiting. Be like, you better get right, because your next blink, you're going to meet him, okay? Now, if you say, that's not very Christian, pray for me, all right? I know you would pray for him, but I'd send him to Jesus, let him sort it out. That's how I do. Now, so what do you do? Then you've got to live prepared that the, that the thief might show up at any time, and that's what he's saying about, about being a Christian, understanding that, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do you know what that means? That there is a day coming, whether it's you go to meet Jesus or he comes here to get us, and you will be standing before him one day in judgment, totally exposed. That means you can't fake it. That means if you thought your church attendance was going to save you, it will be exposed. And what will be exposed is this, is what's the Lord of your life? What are you clinging to for your salvation? Well, if it's clinging to good works, it'll be exposed. If it's clinging to you're the Lord of your own life, it will be exposed. If you thought church attendance is going to save you, it will be exposed. And I've told you this a hundred million times. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. It's not like environment. It's, about, it's in here. It's deep in here. It's a DNA change at the soul level. When you surrender your life to Christ and he becomes Lord of your life, and it will be exposed. And you've got to deal with that. One-on-one, you've got to deal with that. And guess what? Your friends and family are going to have to deal with that too. That reality that there is coming a day when we will stand before God. And you, if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, here's what's crazy, is that God, the moment that he saves you and rescues you and redeems you, the moment that he rescues you, you know what he does? He flips you around and he makes you a part of the rescue team to seek and save that which is lost. And you can't save anybody, but you know what you can do? You can throw them a life raft and say, hey, look, grab onto that thing. Come check out the ark for yourself and make a decision for yourself. And I praise God that he's so patient with us, so patient with us. So here's my question for you. Who has God placed in your life? that needs to hear about the ark of salvation? Jesus. Who is it? Who in your life? Did you know there's not a person that's here by accident, but that's also true tomorrow morning. There's not a person that will be in school or a class or a job or in a neighborhood by accident. That God has placed you there on purpose. And a big part of that reason 
is because it's, it's like you're a modern-day Noah with the keys to the ark, and you get to say, hey, listen, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and check it out? So next week, here's what we're doing next week. Next week, we're starting a brand-new series called Sovereign Legacy. We're going to talk about Abraham, Father Abraham, how many sons, that guy, okay? And here, we're going to answer just really two questions. We're going to talk about the righteousness of Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham had faith in God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So we're going to answer this question for whoever you bring and you... What does it mean to be right with God? And it was his faith that made him right with God. And then later in the book of James, talking about Abraham, it says Abraham was a friend of God. How many of your friends and family need to hear that message? Because a lot of your friends and family, they think God hates them. Or they think they screwed up something a long time in their life and they can't be friends with God anymore. And God wouldn't want to be their friend anyway. He only, he only would want to be your friend because you go to church. And we, we are going to tell whoever shows up how to be right with God and how to be a friend with God. And so who is that person in your world? I left one blank in your notes. I'm not like a fill-in-the-blank guy. But it just says this, who do you need to invite next week to hear that message? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about it. I want you to write a name there. And the, the writing of the name is to help remind you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday to invite them next week. And I would encourage you, don't put it like on your desk, okay? And be like, Ted, coming after you. No, don't do that. Okay, because anytime you talk about this, the weird Christians just are like, hey. And listen, if you're weird, you know, we're a movement for all people. But if you just keep that to yourself, we'd really appreciate it. I'd love to too. Okay. <clears throat> and then, and then if, if some of you are like, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't know how to invite somebody. First of all, I don't believe you because look around the room. You do a really good job at this. But, um, uh, you know, I invite people to our church, and it's kind of weird for me, isn't it? You should really come hear me preach. Or we could just do it now, you know. Uh, it's weird. <laughs> and so um, I've got a bunch of 1122 T-shirts and hats, and this has happened several times over this past year, I'll be like at the ball field or at, at J.P. school or something like that, and they'll see an 1122 shirt, and they go like, oh, do you go to church there? And I must look different at eye level or something. And I go, yeah, a lot. I go a lot. I'm there a lot. And they'll say, do you like it? I go, ah, the music's really good. The music, I'm kind of there for the music. And uh, now, but essentially, do you know why I find it easy, except for being the preacher, but you know why I find it easy to invite people to this church? Because a big part of the motivating factor in how we do church is this, is that we seek to glorify God and worship in word, okay? So we're going to preach the gospel straight up, and we're, going to, we're not going to sing, like, you know, just karaoke. We're going to worship him. And we, we know that introducing people to Jesus is, is the most God-glorifying thing you can do. And so what we've tried to do is remove all the roadblocks that you had when you didn't want to come to church, right? Like... A message that you couldn't understand. So we try to do an understandable message. That we don't have a dress code, you know. These are the nicest clothes I have. So if you need to see pleated khakis on a Sunday morning, you better go to Denny's at 4 o'clock this afternoon or something, okay. You ain't going to see it. Me, I'm not. We don't have like a, we're trying to remove any roadblock that would keep people from coming in here. And here's why. Here's why. Because we want you to be able to say, hey, listen, um, I don't even know if I can fully explain what Jesus did in my life. I just want to invite you to come experience it, right? Because it's hard to fully explain. I can give you all the doctrinal words. It's, it's hard to fully explain what happens when Jesus saves you, when you receive that invitation to get on the ark of salvation, and you're like, wow, I'm saved. But it's amazing what God does in people's life when they come into an environment where you know, where you know it's the safest place to bring your friend to hear the most dangerous message they'll ever hear. And so here's a couple of things that I just do in my regular life is that, um, is that if I ask somebody or if somebody asks me, what would you do this weekend, okay, then I just tell them I went to church. And then I follow that up with an invitation to church. Or sometimes I will initiate it. Hey, what, you know, on Monday, what would you do this weekend? And they'll say, oh, I did this, that, or the other. They're like, awesome. I went to this. You know, and they have to ask you back right? Because we're Americans and Southern, and they, they're going to ask you back. And when they say to you, what did you do this weekend? Then there you go. And you say, actually, I went to this church called 1122. I know you saw the bumper sticker. You thought it was a surf shop. It's not. It's a church, and it's at old Walmart, and you can wear jeans, and you should come, and yeah, you know? And there it is. It's just an invitation. And here's, let me encourage you to do this. And, and you've got to actually give somebody an invite, not an invite. You know what an invite is? An invite is, oh, I go to the 522 service. So, um, watch the Jazz game, and then brush your teeth, and then meet me 
at 5 o'clock, and we'll go to the 522 service, and then afterwards we'll go out for dinner. See, that's an invite. You know what a non-invite is this. You should come to my church sometime. Because look for some time on your calendar. It's not there. And I can't believe you. I'm going to tell you my secret. But here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> if I give you a non-invite, here's what that means. If you come and be like, yeah, we should have lunch sometime. I'll be like, yeah, sometime we'll do that. That just means, love you, don't want to hurt your feelings. See you next Sunday. We're never hanging out. That's what that means, okay? <laughs> so you got to have like a time and a place. That's, that's what we're going to do. Here's another thing I do. If I ever hear, ever, if I ever hear somebody say, hey, we just moved here, then I'll say, where'd you move from? And they'll say, whatever, I don't care. And then I always follow that up with, have you found a church yet? Because you've got to find a church, and especially if they're a Yankee. If they move from up north, then I'll say, hey, look, you know, where are you from? I'm from Jersey. Okay, great. Have you found a church here? Because in the south, you've got to have a church. I know in the north you didn't have a church, but y'all messed up everything. Okay, y'all know what's going on. That's fine. I mean, really, have you ever heard anybody say, when I retire, we're going to Jersey? Never. They all want to move down here with us. That's how they want to do. Okay, makes sense. And then when they get here, you know what you do? Hey, have you found a church? Because I'd love to take you to mine. That's it. And then you give an invitation, I'll meet you here, and that's what we'll do. Or the other time, the other thing I'll do, if I ever hear anybody talking about just how overwhelmed they feel with something in life, like they're getting married, or they're about to have kids, or their kids are about to leave home, whatever it is, I'll just say, well, you know what, you should get plugged into our church because there's all kind of people at our church walking through those same things. And I don't have it all figured out, but I can tell you this, you don't have to do it alone. And that's it. That's it. And here's why. Here's why that's so important. Is do you know that for the large majority of us in the, in the room, every single one of you students are here because somebody invited you, right? Because someone understood that they were like Noah with the keys to the ark. And maybe they didn't convince you to believe what they believed out of the gate, but maybe they just said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you just come and see for yourself? Why don't you just come check it out for yourself? Maybe you'll bump into Jesus, and then you can make up your own mind about what you think. Cause, and here's why I'm okay with that. Here's why. Because I just know what, what the undeniable movement of the Holy Spirit does in your life. Right? Because isn't that your story? It's my story. I mean, front row. Isn't that your story? Can you believe you're sitting on the front row? No. You came one time in the back and be like, maybe for 30 minutes. And now here you're on the front row, like crying with your hands up. It's just how it happens, all right? It's just what God does. And so, like, I could never talk about my faith without talking about Coach Bull Lee. He was not a preacher. He was not the most eloquent and gifted speaker, I promise. And yet, he loved me enough to be less concerned about whether I would be offended by talking about heaven and hell. He loved me enough to just tell me about Jesus and invite me into an environment where he knew I'd hear about Jesus. That's how I got here. That's how so many of you got here, because somebody loved you enough to just share an invitation to a place that you'd hear the gospel. And again, we're not inviting you to come and see a church. We want to invite people to come and see Jesus and just deal with Jesus one-on-one, and then we'll see what happens. Because imagine this. I mean, just imagine for a second. So whenever I talk about this, I know you're thinking of somebody, but I want you to think of that person, your dad, your mother-in-law, your husband, one of your kids, a coworker, a student. I want you to think of that person that is the furthest away from God that you, that you know. And you know, you kind of know God can do anything, but you're thinking, yeah, but God, if you save them, you're going to have to like stretch out first and the lights of heaven are going to dim down for a second before you get them. I like, guess it's going to be hard. I want you to think of that person. And just think, you know what can happen if you're obedient to what God has commanded to you? The same thing that can happen to Noah can happen to you. Did you know that one day in a few weeks or a few months that you could show up to church and be sitting in here and we could be showing baptism videos and the screen pops up and you go, oh my gosh, that's my friend, that's my coworker, that's my fraternity brother, that's my dad. And they begin to tell their story and their story starts with my friend, my family member, a guy I was in English class with just invited me to come to this church and check it out. And then they pronounce Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, everything's possible with anybody that has faith. That's faith. So my challenge is that you would be obedient, that you would be obedient to invite whoever God lays on your heart, whoever, to hop on the ark of salvation. And And again, if you don't know how to fully explain that, that you can invite them to be here next week where they can hear a message on what it takes to be a friend of God, to have a relationship with God. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for Coach Bully. 
You got to, I know that a head football coach is pretty busy in the summer, and Lord, I just thank you so much that he was not too busy to take a bunch of kids to camp where we would hear about you. And not just um, have you explained it to us, but we could experience you. And God, I praise you that now on a weekly basis, I get to do what Coach Lee did for me and just point people to you. God, I pray for every man, woman, and student in this place. And Lord, they have somebody on their heart right now. Somebody for whom you died on the cross. And Lord, there are no impossible situations. Not as long as you reign. So God, I pray for that husband that doesn't know you. I pray for that dad that doesn't know you yet. I pray for that student, that co-worker. God, I just join with the men and women praying right now for those people. And Lord, I pray that we would have the boldness, not weirdness, God, but we would have the boldness to share an invitation to come and see, to come and see that the Lord is good. And God, I thank you and I praise you that you don't need us, but somehow in your sovereign grace, God, you use us to share the greatest news on earth with the people that need it most. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, at the end of every service, we respond. Because that's what worship is, a response to God for who He is and what He's done. And so we respond by singing. We respond by singing. Singing to God, because He's been so good to rescue us. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. If you're a regular here, that's how, that's how God has used this place to reach so many people, to build the ark so big that a whole lot of people can meet Him here. And so if that's you, if you're going to respond with tithes and offerings, you can do it on your app. You can do it at a giving kiosk back there, or you can bring them to one of the giving boxes around. And sometimes we respond by coming to the altar. And if God has laid a name or face on your heart, then maybe you would come to the altar and you would pray that God might use you in their life to bring that person to them. However you need to respond, let's respond.